This podcast is sponsored by Active Skin Repair, a skin health company helping people heal with non-toxic medical-grade ingredients. Active Skin Repair can be used to treat a wide range of skin issues, including cuts, scrapes, burns, sunburns, rashes, diaper rashes, and other types of skin damage. I discovered Active Skin Repair and their baby spray from my community when our daughter was a newborn and had constant diaper rashes, and it really helped and continues to help. Containing hypochlorous acid, which is an effective option for helping with yeast diaper we just spray or dab active skin repair onto the skin with a clean cloth or cotton ball let's sit for 15 seconds and then apply our balm or ointment of choice with over 500,000 happy customers and thousands of five-star reviews you now have one simple solution for all of your family's skin health needs visit www.activeskinrepair.com to learn more about active skin repair and to get 20% off your order using code PEDSDOC that's p-e-d-s-d-o-c My philosophy is if it works for you, it works for me. So yes. I think there's so many different ways to raise your kiddo and people have such different thresholds for working demands and you know what's happening in their home. So I think it really does depend. I don't wanna say that there's one way for everyone, okay? That being said, I think that the time to work on sleep, so I often get the question is, when's the best time to work on my baby's sleep, right? Mm-hmm. And there's two windows. The first window is somewhere around six weeks to 10 weeks. Mm-hmm. And it's very gentle newborn sleep shaping. It's projecting out what their needs are, trying to meet those in anticipation rather than being or like retroactive and being like, oh my God, I think that's a sleeping sign. No, no, I think it's a hunger sign. I'll, I'll feed them and then they fall asleep and just not really having any flow to your day. Gentle newborn sleep shaping, it's about predicting needs and then meeting that, okay? And that's very gentle and it takes place over a number of weeks. And the idea is to help your little one fall asleep in the place they're going to be spending the night because that's your long-term and because somewhere around three months that transfer when they're asleep in your arms you go to put them down can really start to wear off and then things can get more difficult okay Mm -hmm. now if you missed that window or you had a really fussy baby and you had to have them sleeping with you or on you or whatever don't worry because you can always work on sleep habits later at any time I work with kids up to age three four years of age because sleep is a learned habit and it's never too late on working on changing habits Hey everyone, welcome back to the Feeds Dog Talk podcast. This podcast continues to grow because of you and your reviews. So thank you for tuning in, for leaving your reviews and ratings. Today's guest is Dr. Sarah Mitchell. She is the creator of the Helping Baby Sleep Method. And we are talking about if sleep training is really necessary. Thank you so much for joining me today, Dr. Sarah. I'm super excited to be here to share information and education about sleep with new parents. Thanks for having me. Yes. I'm so glad that we could connect and tell me more about yourself and what you do. Yeah. So I'm actually a chiropractor by training, but I really found my passion empowering parents to teach their little ones to sleep and parent confidently day and night as a sleep and parenting consultant. So I work with babies from about four weeks up to four years of age, helping parents with sleeping, feeding, and really mindfulness too in their parenting journey. Oh, I love that last part too, because so much of that can impact how we approach parenting. Um, And it's the core. I mean, in order to make changes in everything that we do, whether it's with sleep or feeding or behavior with our children, we have to be mindful in the moment. So I love connecting with people who share that sort of philosophy because it can really help parents to kind of reframe those moments that are a little more stressful than others. So the topic that we're discussing today is about if sleep training is 
really quote unquote necessary. And so I kind of wanted to open up by, you know, just you going into, is it needed? Is it by choice? Can all children eventually learn to sleep through the night? What are your thoughts on sleep training in general and this conversation? Yeah. There are parents out there who may be wondering why we're even having this conversation because they feel like they have the best sleepers in the world and they don't have to do anything to change the way their little one is sleeping. That does exist. Mm -hmm. But then there's other people who feel like, gosh, this is hard. I'm tired. What can I do to make this better? And what's the difference? There's many variables that can impact how a parent interprets their baby's sleep. One of them could be their threshold, the person's threshold for fatigue. Because one person's dream sleeper could be somebody else's nightmare, depending Mm -hmm. on how much sleep that parent needs. So it really does depend, right? And then, you know, if there's one thing I'd like people to take away from this podcast today, it would be this saying that the drive to sleep, it's biological. We need it to live. We need sleep. But the way we sleep is actually a learned habit. And we don't really think about that so much. We think it should be this beautiful, natural, instinctual thing, probably because of all of those newborn baby photos with babies sleeping in flower pots and whatnot. There's an image there that it should be easy and natural. Don't you think? Yeah, I agree. And I think, you know, the whole movement of sleep training in general, I think back a lot to our when we were children and how, if you ask any of our parents, like, Hey, I'm sleep training. They're gonna be like, what are you talking about? We just let our children sleep. So I started, you know, kind of digging in a little more as to why we've created this sort of sleep training and why this exists now. And I've always wondered, and I wonder if you agree, is there some component of parental stress that may cause the children not to actually sleep? Like, um, Mm -hmm. there is a cycle of, you know, obviously intervening before a child needs it, you know, like what we talk about pausing and whatnot. And so I always see that maybe are we so stressed about sleep and that we have to have our baby sleep and this has to be going a certain way then we inadvertently can accidentally cause sleep issues because of intervening too early or, you know, not creating an environment that is just looking at the physiology of sleep, you know, darkness, Mm -hmm. all of the things. So that's one thing that I wanted to kind of ask about is that, you know, looking at generations before us, it's not that, this is something that they had to do. You know, we just have created this sort of reality and it's fine because I think it's education um, in this modern parenting age. Mm -hmm. I think there's a very, very small percentage of people that I see in practice that are incredibly anxious and have perfectionism tendencies. And I think that energy does get passed on to the little person sometimes, but I think Mm -hmm. that's a really small portion of the people that I work with. And don't forget that I'm biased, right? Because I usually work with people who are having a hard time and reaching out. But there's three other things I think that might influence um, what you're noticing between our parents' generation and ours. One is the invention of monitors, because Mm -hmm. now we have so much more information about what happened in the night or what's happening in the night. And we are more responsive. Back then, you know, they may not even have heard us crying in the crib at night, you know? Yes. The second thing is the pressures on women to get back to work now compared to what it was back in the day. Back in the day, there was a lot more stay-at-home parents. So there was less discussion about getting back to work and working moms. And then the third thing is, I think you had a greater village really around you. I feel like now people, it's a weird state. People are more physically isolated, but they're more connected online. And I think that changes the perception of things because I can go to parenting groups and, you know, see somebody going, oh yeah, yeah, you know, they're sleeping through the night. It's great. And then if I ask more questions and get in there, 
well, that person's baby woke up like three times last night, but she doesn't mind that versus somebody else. And so when that is portrayed online, it looks different than in person. Do you know what I mean by that? Yeah, absolutely. I I can absolutely see that. And the monitor thing is one thing that I actually really agree with um, because especially the monitors that light up your life uh, when there's movement, you know? Um, And Mm -hmm. I actually found that when I went back to basics very early because I was like, okay, this monitor is actually causing me to lose sleep. Even if my son is sleeping, like just say when he finally went through sleeping through the night, truly like no wake ups at all, no feedings at all, like no waking up that really did, you know, I would still just stir. If he stirred, I would stir. So monitors for sure. And everything you say makes perfect sense. So, you know, when approaching this, I guess, what is your philosophy here? I mean, do you think, I mean, I have my own philosophies, but do you feel like babies should be taught to sleep? Or do you feel like it's something that, you know, you just go with the flow or is it something that if a parent wants to learn the skills, then they can learn it? Like, where do you feel like this should kind of be in line? Yeah. My philosophy is if it works for you, it works for me. So I think there's so many different ways to raise your kiddo and people have such different thresholds for working demands and, you know, what's happening in their home. So I think it really does depend. I don't want to say that there's one way for everyone. Okay. That being said, I think that the time to work on sleep. So I often get the question is when's the best time to work on my baby's sleep. Right. Mm -hmm. And there's two windows. The first window is somewhere around six weeks to 10 weeks. Mm-hmm. And it's very gentle newborn sleep shaping. It's projecting out what their needs are, trying to meet those in anticipation rather than being like retroactive and being like, oh my God, I think that's a sleeping sign. No, no, I think it's a hunger sign. I'll, I'll feed them and then they fall asleep and just not really having any flow to your day. Gentle newborn sleep shaping is about predicting needs and then meeting that. Okay. And that's very gentle and it takes place over a number of weeks. And the idea is to help your little one fall asleep in the place they're going to be spending the night because that's your long-term goal. And because somewhere around three months, that transfer when they're asleep in your arms, you go to put them down can really start to wear off and then things can get more difficult. Okay. Mm -hmm. Now, if you missed that window or you had a really fussy baby and you had to have them sleeping with you or on you or whatever, don't worry because you can always work on sleep habits later. At any time, I work with kids up to age three, four years of age because sleep is a learned habit. And it's never too late on working on changing habits. So anytime after four months is when you can work on independent sleep skills. So in my story was, you know, I kept breastfeeding him back to sleep because I just wanted to be attached and meet his every need. And I thought that's what I should be doing. I thought, and then, then it became the only way I knew how, right? So he actually weighed... 20 pounds by the time he was four months because he was a big baby starting out. But then I just kept feeding him, feeding him back to sleep. Yeah. So he was this little Michelin man. And not that there's anything wrong with that, right? But I got to a point where I was like, I can't sustain this. Like, I'm really tired. I'm starting to feel kind of resentful of this. And so what else can I be doing here? And so that's when we're working on independent sleep skills. So the research shows that after three or four months, kids can self-soothe and they do something repetitive, Mm -hmm. right? We have self-soothing skills as adults. We have bedtime routines as adults and our kids follow these paths too. So, you know, you and I, we might find our favorite position that helps us relax into sleep. So a self-soothing skill for a little person might be, you know, rolling onto their side or positioning Mm -hmm. their body a certain way or doing something small and repetitive, like sucking a thumb or a finger or rubbing an ear that can help them relax to sleep. Those are independent sleep skills. You know, that is just one piece of like helping kids sleep. Like in my method, there's five understandings, right? One is really understanding sleep's a learned habit. Okay. I have taught you that you need my boob to be able to fall asleep. No problem. I can work on changing that. The second one is timing of sleep. So putting kids down too early or too late can make it harder for them. 
right? The third one is being an intentional feeder. So if I'm wanting to work on sleep, I may have to look at my feeding patterns as well so that I can stack calories in the daytime to be able to get those longer stretches of sleep in the night, but also be confident with them when they wake up two hours into sleep that it's not hunger because they had so many feeds during the day. The fourth pillar is messaging and being consistent because when you understand it's a learned habit, how do you learn? You learn with repetition and consistency, the same response to the same stimuli over and over again, right? And then the fifth pillar is responding. And that's the one thing that people think about when they think about sleep training, or as I prefer to call it, sleep teaching, is how am I going to respond to the tears when my child expresses that frustration when I've taken away the known way of falling asleep? Warmer, sunnier days are calling. Fuel up for them with Factors No Prep, No Mess meals. Chef crafted meals with options like Calorie Smart, Protein Plus, and Keto. Factors Fresh, Never Frozen meals are dietitian approved and ready to eat in just two minutes. With 35 different meals and more than 60 add ons to choose from each week, you'll always have new flavors to explore. Crush your wellness goals this May with dietitian approved meals and ingredients you can trust. I absolutely love the spicy jalapeno, lime cheddar chicken, and mushroom chicken thighs with wild rice. Keep kitchen time to a minimum with factor meals because they're ready in two minutes. No shopping, prepping, cooking, or cleanup. I work from home and love the convenience and how delicious factor meals are. Head to factormeals.com slash peedsdoctalk50 and use code peedsdoctalk50 to get 50% off your first box plus 20% off your next box. That's code peedsdoctalk50 at factormeals.com slash peedsdoctalk50 to get 50% off your first box plus 20% off your next box while your subscription is active. Are you looking for something different to entertain your kids? Check out a new podcast for children. Mysteries about true histories, affectionately known as M-A-T-H, is a weekly show full of time travel puzzles, hidden equations, history, and lots of laughs. Math is geared towards kids six and up, but can be enjoyed by the entire family. I love how the episodes are under 20 minutes, which was perfect for our drive to school. And my four-year-old really loved the episode, The Pirate Queen. Every episode follows two best friends, Max and Molly, who work together to solve riddles and math equations during their time-traveling adventures. Episodes transport listeners to moments in history like Pythagoras' ancient Greece, the era of the Aztecs, Sir Isaac Newton's England, and so much more. New episodes drop every Thursday, and I love how engaging, funny, and educational the episodes are. Your kids won't even realize they're learning about math and problem solving. My son even said he wanted to finish the episode on our drive home from school. So tune in to Mysteries About True Histories with your kids. You can follow and listen on Apple Podcasts or wherever you listen to podcasts. Does that make sense? Yes. All of this is great. And I think, you know, there's a few comments that I have. The (laughs) number one thing is before your pillars, the you're happy, I'm happy philosophy, which is what I think people need to normalize that I do believe that there is a pressure to sleep train, but then there's also people who sleep train that get judged. So on both spectrums, Mm -hmm. we are dealing with families who feel unsupported or that their choices don't matter or their choices are being looked down upon. And really, I agree with you that if a family is happy, like using the example of you breastfeeding your baby to sleep as a pediatrician, I love to also educate families on how that is so beautiful, but how can we create a disassociation between I need to feed to sleep. It's okay to feed your baby in the middle of the night, but removing that disassociation can be very helpful to stretch feedings and stretch sleep and, you know, see that sort of life back in terms of sleep. And 
irregardless of if someone is a working mom or not, sleep is very useful. Like, you know, you're talking Mm -hmm. about like our generations before, like, it doesn't matter to me if you're going back to a workplace or not. I see stay-at-home moms who don't sleep train, who are miserable just because you're not working in a workplace. Absolutely. If sleep training is something that you want to explore, I want a family to feel full full, you know, that you can do this, that it's okay. This is something that is okay for babies to do. And if it's not your cup of tea, or maybe a certain method is not your cup of tea, then of course, then that's fine too. But I think you're, like you said, teaching about sleep, sleep teaching and how to really set that foundation can be helpful, especially for the toddler years and beyond, you know, it doesn't have to happen in the infancy years, um, but it really can help a lot. You know, the independent sleep thing is something really useful for children. Like it, really helps in terms of, you know, having a infant who sleeps like a nine month old, 10 month old, if you want to go even further than four months is very helpful as we approach those toddler years. And then all the things that you mentioned about intentional feeding, consistency and responding. I love the consistency and responding. And that's so much of what we do in anything that we're trying to teach our child. Mm -hmm. I mean, potty training, I'm teaching my son how to potty train right now, consistency and how we respond in any parenting situation, including with tantrums, including mm-hmm. when they whine. I mean, this mm-hmm. is all parenting 101. Mm-hmm. Um, and then that feeding comment that you mentioned, 100% that intentional feeding is such a beautiful thing. And I manage a lot of families. And one of the things is when a breastfeeding mom, or maybe even a frontline mom, but I see it more with breastfeeding mothers, when they feel like they're constantly feeding their baby. And I have to mm-hmm. say, I'm like, look, you're going to stress yourself out. If this is something that you love, fine, we're not going to fix it, like you said. But I want you to remember that is there another reason? Has that baby just started to understand that this is what they need to go down, but how can we create that sort of healthy relationship that you love? I love Mm -hmm. when breastfeeding moms love that connection, but you can still have the connection in other ways, you know, looking at their cues, but also just having a little cuddle or patting their Mm -hmm. back before they go down. So all of these are so important. And I know you wanted to kind of also present some of the data or science behind sleep, you know, when do babies start to stretch and whatnot. So I'd love to hear more about that too. Yeah. One of my favorite studies that I like to refer to is by Michael Gratisart from 2016 Journal of uh, Pediatrics. It was a randomized controlled study. It's the only one we have about sleep teaching that showed that short-term sleep training, which is three weeks or less, is safe and effective and has no long-term effects on bonds. And he also Mm -hmm. particularly looked at cortisol because one of the common criticisms or this out there is that, you know, your baby's cortisol rises right? With crying Mm -hmm. and sleep training. And he basically found that there was no difference because your cortisol rises anyway through the night as human beings, right? And he proved that, you know, there was no change in that measure. It wasn't significant. So that that was really, really interesting that it's a randomized controlled study. Sleep teaching is safe and effective. My other favorite sleep researcher is Dr. Jodi Mandel. And she's written a number of studies. And one of the ones I quote frequently is about bedtime interventions. And her study showed that the more a parent intervenes at bedtime, the more night waking you will have, which is really interesting, right? Because I think Mm -hmm. most of us just want to help. We want to help so much. yeah. But then that behavior is just kind of like a snowball effect. Like it just kind of keeps going over and over again. And then a recent study that came out that's kind of fun, also by um, Dr. Gratisar, showed that, and Get Nanit, the camera company, actually does a number of, um, they have a sleep researcher on staff, and they're doing so many interesting things with the data that they're collecting from their camera with consent. And they showed that the number of cribside visits in a night is statistically significant to 
the frequency of sexual activity with parents. Mm. So the more you visit at night, the decreased frequency you're having being intimate with your partner. And what's interesting about mm-hmm. that, it was not related to number of night wakings. It's related to cribside visits. And it mm. kind of makes sense. Now, yeah. the good news about that study was that frequency didn't necessarily translate to satisfaction with sexual intimacy. So anyway, I thought that was kind of fun. But going back to, you know, the sleep teaching and the training and that type of thing, it's basically, you know, we think we should be helping. We think it should be this beautiful, natural thing that we can do. But it's, for some of us, it just doesn't work out that way. And when you understand that sleep's a learned habit, to me, it all kind of makes so much more sense, you know? Yeah. And um, going back to that cortisol study that you mentioned, I actually have, for anyone who has not listened to episode 16 of my podcast, I had a PhD who studies childhood trauma come on and discuss the cortisol studies regarding sleep training and how it is not harmful to babies. So really want to clear that up. If it is something that you end up wanting to do sleep train or sleep teach, um, I love that terminology, that it is something that is perfectly safe for babies and fine for babies. And like you said, we all have natural cortisol increases and there's nothing about sleep teaching and training that is going to mess that up and mess up that amazing bond. And so in your feeling and opinion, again, I know this is just a natural conversation about opinion. Do you feel like there's a certain sweet spot? Like if, Hey, if your child is still not independent sleeping, then by this age, or is there certain criteria that you feel like it might be beneficial to, for a family to reach out or is it completely based on their desire? Yeah. Great question. So my favorite age to work with, I have two, one is in that like six, seven week newborn stage. Mm-hmm. You can so gently work on amazing sleep habits. That's what I did with my daughter, Violet. After my son, my first one, I was like, oh my gosh, I'm not going down that yeah. sleep abyss again. So we're going to just really gently work on this here. I'm going to be putting you down awake and helping you fall asleep in the crib. And that's what we teach in the newborn method in the class and the book. And so that's my favorite time, assuming that you're, you know, your breastfeeding is going well, or your bottle feeding is going well, and you don't have reflux or any kind of GI issues. That's my favorite time. My next favorite time is somewhere around five to six months of age, because you have probably been in that four month sleep regression that can start anywhere from like three and a half to four months for some time. You may have thought that it was going to go away and it really hasn't. And at five to six months, why I like this is a lot of kids are starting to roll and rolling can help with sleeping because a lot of kids want to sleep on their stomach Mm -hmm. when they're able to do so. That could be really helpful. You also have less variables at play. So as kids get older, they start to get more mobile. They start to get more teeth. Those are all little things that can cause little blips in your sleep. They're called sleep regressions. And here's another big takeaway. Whenever you hear sleep regression, I want you to think growth and distraction. So this sleep regression is happening because my child is growing physically by getting teeth or neurologically by learning motor leaps or understanding, and that's distracting them from going to sleep. It doesn't mean that they're not capable, but Mm -hmm. it is kind of a distraction. And so when, if I'm working, you know, it never fails that you work with a parent at eight months and they start teething at some Mm -hmm. point and that's okay. We can manage that, right? You can't be waiting for the perfect time. That's the other thing. There is no absolutely perfect time where you're not going to have some sort of little sleep regression happen. You just have to feel that the way we're doing things is unsustainable for whatever reason. It could be that you're starting to feel really exhausted, you're resentful, you want your partner to be involved more, um, you're going back to work, or you're just feeling really tired because we definitely have research that shows you know, that lack of sleep is definitely correlated with anxiety and postpartum depression. So 
everybody has to figure out what's best for them. As a pediatrician, mom, and podcaster, I want to share with you a podcast I recently discovered. It's called Understood Explains, and this season of the show is hosted by teacher and special education expert Juliana Ortube, and it's all about how to navigate individual education plans, also known as IEPs. The latest season of Understood Explains covers topics like how to tell if your child needs an IEP, and it busts common myths about special education. I listened to an episode called The Difference Between IEPs and 504 plans, and I learned so much that I honestly didn't know before. I now feel I can better explain these to my patients and their families and better support them in their neurodiversity journey. Navigating ADHD, dyslexia, and other learning and thinking differences can be confusing, and this podcast helps to validate these struggles and provide actionable tips that are useful for parents, teachers, and clinicians. To listen to Understood Explains, search for Understood Explains in your podcast app. That's Understood explains. No one told us the truth about parenthood. Why? This is the podcast everyone needed before they had kids because now that those little ones are here, there is a lot to unpack. I'm Rachel Shepardota and I am your host for the podcast No One Told Us where we tell the truth about parenting and let you in on all the stuff you really should have known about before having kids. I am the founder of Hey Sleepy Baby, but this podcast is so much more than sleep. We'll be diving into all the topics that you really care about and need to know while you do your best job raising those adorable, tidy humans. Our goal is to just make you feel less alone and less overwhelmed. There are so many things that no one tells us before becoming a parent, and I think that we should really pull back the curtain on becoming a first-time or second-time mom or dad to share the good, the bad, and the ugly. We'll have a little education, a little fun, and a whole lot of heart that goes into each and every episode. So join me and our amazing guests each week to hear us talk about what no one told us. Yeah, I love those sweet spots. It's also the sweet spots that I also love to talk about. And that I think that six-week mark, I love that you bring that up because sometimes people think that, no, I don't want to sleep train my six-week-old. You're not sleep training. You are setting a foundation for Mm -hmm. healthy sleep. And a lot of the times, I don't know if you had this experience with your daughter, you said you did this. We did a lot of work with our son also at four weeks, six weeks about sleep foundation, right? Not training. Mm -hmm. And then we didn't really need to do a major, major sleep training, like sleep training or teaching when it actually finally needed to happen. Wasn't really for us very much of an issue because he got some of that basic foundations that can be taught at six weeks. And maybe I'll have you on again to talk about those things. Um, But it is something that's very doable. And, you know, for me, parents will come in and they'll say, you know, all children will eventually sleep. And I say, you're right. All children will eventually sleep through the night. And we are going to be recording another episode about what that terminology means, like through the night. I think that's going to be a good one about misconceptions about sleep in general. But yes, that can happen. I do see that. Like a child who is not sleep trained or sleep taught in the infancy period. Yes. At two, three, they can sleep, but I do see a lot of the alternative where we have three-year-olds, four-year-olds older that have not learned that independent sleep. So I think there's a balance here. You know, I think from a empowering of parents perspective, I want parents to feel comfortable doing what they want to do, but I also want parents to know that sleep is really helpful for the whole family and that it is something that you can work to in a method that works for you. You know, it doesn't have to be crime methods. It doesn't have to be this method. It can be something to, like you said, teach them those independent Mm -hmm. sleep skills that can really help 
the child. I mean, I could go on and on about the medical reasons why I love sleep. I think it's like mm-hmm. you said, you already mentioned the postpartum anxiety and depression, 100%. And there's no pressure in that first month, two months, or any month in the first time, fourth trimester to get a child sleeping through the night. That's not the goal. But we know that lack of sleep affects our mental health. And then also for children, right? Children learn better when they're sleeping. They can learn language better. They can actually want to play if they're tired and their schedules are all off and they're having tantrums because of the lack of sleep and it's just chaos. There's no mm-hmm. consistency, exactly. like you said, in your mm-hmm. pillars, like mm-hmm. the consistency of the schedule matters that can really help in just teaching the rhythm of the day. Hey, we're going to go to sleep around this time. Um, here's your evening routine. We're going to have the daytime is going to look like this. And there's going to be variations to that based on our life. It's not like you're always going to stick on a routine, but I think all of those things just really make sense um, and can really help just sort of reframe this when we're thinking one side, Hey, I feel pressure to sleep train or teach. No, you're not. But I want you to also think about what are your goals? You know, what is it that you really want out of this whole parenting journey with sleep and how it impacts your life? And I want to mm-hmm. normal is that for all families too with you? Well, there's two things you said that resonate me really big here. One is that you and I both just want people to know what's possible for them. Yeah. That's right? And two, we know that good sleep really helps your child's demeanor in the daytime. I don't know how many clients that I work with who always describe their child's temperament as happy on the intake form. And then afterwards they say, I can't believe how much less fussy they are during the day now that they're sleeping well. Mm -hmm. And also some people are like, why are pediatricians so pushy about sleep teaching, sleep training? And it's not that we're pushy. It's that we also know that when the child reaches school age, the importance of sleep in the family. Now, that being said, I have children who do not sleep through the night at infancy and toddlers, but the parents have created a routine for the child during the school age years where they go to bed at a certain time, limit screens before bedtime, all of the things for sleep hygiene so they can go to school and learn, absorb that information. And they're not zonked out all the time, right? I do see obviously behavioral conditions later on. And that is why like, I look downstream, you know, I'm like, I want you to be empowered to learn these skills so that we can hopefully have the sleep issue, not be the reason why your child is not succeeding in their own trajectory at school. You know, why they're so tired all the time. Obviously there's other reasons, um, medical reasons for a child not being able to sleep, um, sleep apnea, da, 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 but that's not the conversation here, but it's so important to kind of look at everything as that big picture. And yes, we, I agree completely with you. This is so much more than, Hey, sleep train or not. This is why are we doing this? What is the benefits of it? You have options here. And then also, like you said, I I can't wait to direct people to your resources, but your pillars, I'm sure just really go over that foundation, how to create that and the importance of coming at it at a, I'm going to do this. It makes sense for my family. It makes sense for my baby from a developmental perspective. And although they could learn to sleep later, you have these tools that could help you now, which I think is really cool. Mm -hmm. Well, this is where the mindfulness comes into it because I find parents who are really hesitant to make changes to the way their babies sleep, they're remembering something from their own childhood or they wanted to parent a certain way, mm-hmm. or they remember a period where they were left crying as a child that, that they still remember. And they don't want to impart that same experience to their child, but we're talking apples to oranges here because it's completely different scenarios, but the feeling is there. 
Mm-hmm. Right. So that's the noticing part of mindfulness. Okay. So when I bring these suggestions up to you, so when I'm coaching someone, I'm always asking, so how do you feel about that? Like, what does your gut say right now when I'm telling you this? Cause I want to know what the root issue is deep down for this person so that they can parent confidently mm-hmm. and feel like they're doing the very best thing for their family. Cause don't we all want to just rock parenting? Really? Yeah. That's the ultimate goal. But what's holding you back from that? Cause you're talking to me cause you're tired, but at the same time, you don't want to move forward. So we've got yes. some, something going on. On here. So let's talk about that. Absolutely. Because like I said, we said at the beginning here, like if I'm going to teach any parent about anything in parenting, and I use the trifecta, the trifecta is sleep, behavior, and eating. Okay. These are the three major things that cause stress in parents. And I, mm-hmm. I, you know, picky eating, food refusal, not sleeping, and then also the tantrums. Okay. And they're all connected, right? Everything's connected. <laughs> so that's yeah. why it causes a stress because you need to have a foundation. And then you also need to see, well, do we need to adjust the schedule? Are they not eating? Is that why they're having meltdowns or are the meltdowns for other reasons anyways? So I think it is something that is so important to kind of look at um, in all of those aspects. And yeah, I agree that it is something that parents should kind of look to as a possibility for them that this could help so much. Like it can be beneficial for the family if it's something they want. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And I love this conversation. Is there anything else you'd want to add? I know I'm going to have you on again for another episode because I do want to talk about some of the misconceptions that surround sleep and sleep teaching and training Um, terminology I know is different. Um, But is there anything else you'd want to add as to like this whole understanding of do we need to sleep train? Are they going to learn on their own? I think it's just really remembering it's a learned habit. Mm -hmm. It's a learned habit. So if I take that away, for sure, my child's going to be frustrated. How do I offer comfort to those tears? But also thinking like looking at timing. So on our website, we have lots of freebies. We have a free timing sheet. Um, The book, The Helping Baby Sleep Method, The Art and Science of Teaching Your Baby to Sleep is on Amazon. And I love the title so much because it really is both, right? Like we follow the science of understanding how much sleep kids need, how much food they need. But then the art part is like, implementing strategies that you feel like fit for your child. So in the book, we teach two different ways to come at this, depending on what feels most comfortable for you. And then teach you like, what does progress look like? Because that's the other part of being a new parent. If this is your first time doing this, you have no idea what's quote unquote normal as far as like the tears, the amount Mm -hmm. of sleep, like what this should look like. So we go over that in the book as well. That's wonderful. And also what is the link to your website and other resources? Yeah, it's helpingbabysleep.com. And we're on Instagram and we just want you to know what's possible. That's it. You can raise your baby any way you want. We just want you to know what's possible when it comes to feeding and sleep in this. Yeah. And Sarah, I just, again, I love your approach to the mindful aspect. I did want to wrap up and say why that's so important. Like we said, like teaching all of these things about feeding, sleep, behavior, da, da, da. In order for us to make true changes, we need to know what is the why behind the reservations. You know, why are you upset when your child gets a little fussy? Why are you upset about leaving your child um, alone? You know, maybe if it was family that was co-sleeping, just giving an example, right? There's Mm -hmm. all these reasons that could be different from client to client. I know you know that for me, it's patient to patient, family to family, Mm -hmm. that it's like, if I just come at you and say, we're going to teach your baby how to sleep. No, no, no. I need to know, like you said, what is the root reasons of why you want to do it? And why you're feeling a little hesitant. And I think that's the core of mindful parenting, which is all I'm about, is that I need to understand your feelings and your frustrations and your insecurities, how you were parented, all this stuff. And honestly, that is how we make the biggest breakthroughs. And if that could be my final message, that is (laughs) it, that that's how we can do these things. And also just knowing what it is you want and not what 
people are telling you to do. And I think, Sarah, I resonate with you because I think you also are in that mission that you're not pushing this down anyone's throat. It's not like you must do my way or the highway, but it's like, it sounds like you just really want to help people sleep. And you really want to help people understand that it is okay to teach your baby independent sleep skills, whether you were breastfeeding, formula feeding, whatever it is, you'll still have that bond. I think parents are so worried about losing that bond with their baby. And I can tell you as someone who sleep trained their child when they were, he was two and a half months old. Yes. Very early for various reasons. I have it on my podcast, why we did it so early and why it worked, but it was so good for us. And I've never batted an eye as to losing any bond with him. I mean, he (laughs) loves to sleep. He loves everything. Of course, like you said, which is another valid point that just because you sleep teach or sleep train doesn't mean that your child's not going to go through sleep regressions where they are learning and developing. And that is something I also want to normalize because that is sometimes a misconception that I will go over in a future episode too. Mm -hmm. Remember, you can be loving attached and well-rested. Yes. yes. That is what I think you're doing, especially with your younger daughter now. How old is she now? She's nine now. Nine. Wow. Okay, Mm -hmm. great. And then also that's what we're doing with our son. My husband was like, he was born and we had a traumatic delivery and he was like, so when are we going to sleep train? I'm like, let's get through all this stuff that happened. He had a medical diagnosis. I'm like, let's see how he does with his seizures. I'm like, let's see how he does with the seizures. I'm not rushing into it. I'm ready when he's ready. And when I'm ready. And then we notice we're like, he's stretching feedings. He's doing really well. He's showing some signs of self-settling on his own. Let's go ahead and do a mini training. And it worked. And it's such a nuanced thing. Parenting is about looking at your baby and looking at your goals and saying, okay, I feel it. I feel I want to do this. And resources like Dr. Sarah with her helpingbabies.com, her book, and also her Instagram account. I'm going to attach it And again, thank you so much for joining me today. Thank you so much for having me. It was great. And everyone listening, thank you so much for joining us. If you love this episode, make sure to leave a review and call out Dr. Sarah and her information. Thank her for it. And also follow her at Helping Babies Sleep and then her website as well, which I will link in our show notes. And once again, thank you for joining us. Awesome. Thank you for tuning in for this week's episode. As always, please leave a review share this episode with a friend, share it on your social media. Make sure to follow me at Pete's Doc Talk on Instagram and subscribe to my YouTube channel, Pete's Doc Talk TV. We'll talk to you soon. Have you heard about the terrible twos or three-nagers? Yes, the toddler years can be tough. There is no denying that any phase of parenting can be really hard. There may be picky eating, tantrums, and struggles with potty training. But there is a lot of amazing things that you will see your toddler do during these years. I want you to enter the toddler years understanding toddler development and behavior so you can better approach tricky situations with your child. With resources on picky eating, potty training, tantrums, and other common toddler behavior like sleep refusal and toddler development, the toddler resources here at Peds Doc Talk aim to provide you with the knowledge you need to, dare I say, find some or a lot of enjoyment in the toddler years. For more on my on-demand courses, make sure to visit pedsdoctalk.com and check out resources for whatever you need. Have a friend? It also makes a perfect gift. Visit pedsdoctalk.com and click courses for more.